It's Fab here, founder and head teacher at Old Marketing School and your marketing BFF. And today I want to invite you to the place where marketing rebels go to master the craft. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about our marketing rebels, self-paced course library and student community. Imagine this, the ultimate library of courses, tactics and templates for marketers looking to use their superpowers for good. So if you are ready to access our short courses, a supportive community of marketing rebels, your personal cheerleading squad, then you gotta go and check our library out. Yes, think about us as your marketing BFFs sharing incredible weekly tactics tools, resources, and even prompts and trends to make sure that you always have fresh content coming out. Plus, we also have marketing sprints, hot seats, and office hours to support you as well in the journey. If it sounds like a good party, I guess it is. So all you have to do is make sure that you join us and you can do it in just two clicks. You just go to School dot click slash library i repeat am school dot click slash library to find out more about how to join us right now i will be waiting for you on the inside now on with today's episode welcome to alt marketing school we are proudly bringing together a new wave of marketers just like yourself We want to provide you with the skills to speak to your audience perfectly, empower clients with winning strategies to market their brands, champion their values, and make a positive impact in the online world. My name is Fab, and I'm your host. May the class begin. Hello team, and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. Today, I am very excited to talk to you about why you shouldn't use ROI to understand marketing values. I know it's a bit controversial, but hear me out. I want us to start thinking about why we are so obsessed with marketing to show a quantifiable return on investment. And what would happen if marketing could be about improvement and not worth? In this chat, I'm gonna talk to Bill Swarovski discussing why marketing should be more about being better rather than striving to be best. Yes, we're gonna talk about a lot of things that you might assume or all beliefs around marketing and what real return of investment is. So I would say come to this one with an open mind and enjoy the ride. Let us know what you think and don't forget to check out altmarketingschool.com join to receive weekly episodes on your inbox as well as a weekly roundup of the best marketing and social media news. Let today lesson begin. Hello everyone and welcome back to Alt Marketing School. Today I'm very excited to be here with Bill and not just because we had a lovely chat about our different heritages (laughs) and discovering like different parts of the world that we come from but yeah I'm really excited for today's chat. Thank you so much for being here with me. Thank you, Fab. I'm, I'm really excited too. This is going to be a topic that I think a lot of people have very strong opinions about, and I am, I'm definitely one of those people. So anytime I can talk about marketing and 
ROI. I take that opportunity every time. Thank you for having me. I love that. Oh, yeah, let's bring it on. I'll definitely say before we do that, though, let's give them some context about who you are. Uh, so I'll just leave you the stage just for a minute, just to tell us a bit more about your background, who you are and what you do before we jump into talking about marketing and ROI. Sure, sure. I'm, so it's interesting because right now I'm talking to you from outside of Chicago in the United States, where I am the director of business development sales for a branding agency called Ignite, which is based in San Diego. Now, we'll be talking about marketing. So there's that context between a salesperson talking about marketing, but my background is in marketing. So I have the unique experience of having led both sales and marketing uniquely, uh, separately, but also having been in a dual role where I'm responsible for both. I see why this, why this conversation is important to have no matter what your role says. So for me, I'm really excited to talk to companies about why their brand has value. And today you and I are going to talk about why marketing has value, which very, very closely related. Uh, certainly those two topics have a lot of overlap and in, in why they're important for a company. So what I love about this, which is picking up on obviously the starting point, this little rocket ship that is launching, is the fact that marketing has value. And again, there's an association or a way to try and associate marketing and ROI as this, not the sole value, but the main value that you can find or the best way actually let me even rephrase that for some companies or for a brand to understand uh, whether and how marketing is worth our time so I think this is really why I would like to hear your opinion and your take when it comes to really the value of marketing and if you can start hinting at why we're so stuck with the idea of like well ROI and marketing need to go hand in hand yeah you, you may have subconsciously used a, a really important word there and that's worth is it worth the time? Is marketing worth the time? Is it worth the money? And that's when we talk about marketing being an investment of time, of money, of resources. I think we trip into an, in, into a pit and that starts, starts the conversation in handicapped direction already. If we talk about marketing as an investment, we're inherently expecting something specific to come out of it. If we talk about marketing as a commitment, then whether we get the results we want or not, we're committed to playing the long game. Now, as an investment, think of the stock market. Think of things that you do short-term to generate a quick result. You expect that result or you look back and you say, that was not worth it. I'm not doing that again. And let's say, you know, to make the comparison to your own personal health. If you go on a crash diet, because you've got to lose 10 pounds, you do a lot of really unhealthy things. A lot of ridiculous things that you would never do. You stop eating, you exercise like a maniac. You do all these things in a very short term because you want the short term result. But that's not, that's not the way marketing is. Marketing is a long-term commitment. It's not just a short-term investment. And we see that the companies that succeed over time have done marketing consistently, they've done it well, and doing it well means you understand your target audience, you understand what's important to them. And as a result, you actually build a brand that establishes a perception that people have in their mind when they think about you, when they think about your company. But if you're inconsistent, if you don't do that on a regular basis and you're talking about yourself, 
your company, your features and benefits of your products and services and not connecting with your audience, uh, then you're missing that opportunity completely and you, you won't last. So the, the value of marketing is really how we build an audience around all those things that I just said, ultimately an audience that we can sell to. But even if it's an audience that ultimately refers us to someone else or an audience that shares our content on social media or an audience that maybe moves to another company or gets a promotion and moves into a decision-making role and chooses us three years down the road because of the brand that we've established, that's really the value of marketing. It's not all these short-term tactics and campaigns and hacks and tricks that everyone's so tempted to pursue, but really don't end up taking them anywhere long-term. I love that. And I love the way tackle the tricks and hacks because to me it's a big um it's like the carrot and the stick and I know that it's, it's, it's a really tasty carrot again I've been doing this for, for for 10 years in different ways and what I've always learned when I came from a writing background writing articles if I can add a hack if I can add a tip people are listening and this is kind of what I find really interesting but what I like to try and build is again that longevity that you just mentioned it's just interesting because that's really not the carrot that a lot of people are looking for. So it's kind of like, as you say, almost starts reframing things and really be more mindful about the preconceptions that we have, which from a, from a young younger marketer, I would say it also comes from, you know, what, what we have learned from whether it's studies and education, which is something that all to marketing school we want to change but also whether it's from examples or from what we read or from what we see or what we are asked. And I think that kind of goes to my next point. Obviously, people that are listening might be marketers, but might also be companies and brands and founders. And it's really important to understand that sometimes when you work for somebody or with somebody, they will ask you, okay, what is the ROI or what is the return of investment of how can you show me what output can you give me? And I think forecasting in itself and I know it's something that you mentioned when it comes to value can be part of that problem so I would like to hear your thoughts on that and kind of why that is because I think that's how a lot of people think especially when you're working with somebody else absolutely when you look at it either from a marketer's perspective or the person that you as a marketer are reporting to very often that person is not a marketer very often that person is head of company may not have a background in marketing, may, may have, have studied marketing 20 years ago, but certainly not in the environment where we are today. Part of what you said previously, though, is how I've built this view of marketing myself, because I'm a former journalist. I worked in the nonprofit sector for years. And because of that, when someone would ask me what the return on investment is, it's very often not purchasing a product, if you're in the nonprofit sector, it's inspiring someone to make a donation for which they get nothing in return or to volunteer their time or to champion your cause. These are all non-financial uh, examples of inspiring action, which has many facets as opposed to just buying a product. Even going back to journalism, reading an article, we, we don't know how many people read page seven of the newspaper. We just know how many newspapers we delivered. So it's very hard to track certain things like that and even more difficult to forecast because we're relying on human behavior to tell us whether or not we hit the mark. And you don't need to look any further back than a year ago today. Nobody 
on the planet saw the way that the last 12 months would play out. Everyone had their forecasts. Everyone had their sales plan. Everyone had their marketing strategy. And they all went out the window in the last 12 months because human behavior is unpredictable. This pandemic that we're living in has been unpredictable. No one could have told you on March 17th of 2020 that X percentage of people were going to lose their income, X percentage of businesses were going to shutter completely or reduce their staff or require everyone to work from home for the next 12 months. There was just no way to predict that. So whether or not you have the ability to forecast, at the end of the day, all it is is a guess. And, and that's not a very good way to build strategy. So one of the problems with forecasting is that it's inherently based on something you cannot control. And I, I make the analogy to media, to predictions, whether it's an election or a, a sports game match, depending on what sport you follow. If anyone tells you they know what's going to happen, they're lying to you because there's no way we can predict those things. It's very much like the comparison between marketing and gambling, advertising and gambling. We show up not knowing what's going to happen. We think we can game the system, but at the end of the day, you're putting your chips on the table and you're saying, whatever happens out there, I have to accept the consequences of. I can't predict what's going to happen in the future because it's outside of my control. Would you say that in a way, because I love what you mentioned, I love the analogy, but I also love that you kind of brought us back to probably the best example about human behaviors and the perils of forecasting with what happened pretty much a year ago at the time of recording. Would you say that then something that has been really interesting to see to be implemented and something that actually a lot of brands have started doing more mindfully has been like the element of social listening now, whether we look at the tools that people use or if it's more of a case of just listening and understanding to your audience, just thinking about maybe one proactive thing or one better way to be able to, you know, guide the strategy, but especially based on what we've learned, which is based on what's happening right now and whether we want to fit into that conversation or whether, in my opinion, we should just shut up and listen sometimes. I think that that's something that I'm kind of thinking if somebody's like, okay, I get it. But if I'm not forecasting, if I'm not trying to, plan ahead in that way what are the other things one thing maybe that I can do to help me out start to gauge the situation how can I act and react to it right we, we can't be paralyzed by the inability to forecast we, we have to accept that we, we can't predict what's going to happen at times there's there's also an attribution problem with marketing in which we can't even look backwards at what did happen and confidently say this person bought our product because of that piece of content. We know that there are probably 10 different touches that we had with that company. Some may be social listening, some may be direct advertising. Uh, it's most likely that that person had five to 10 different reasons for why they chose us. We can't know what every one of them was, but we can rely on what we believe are best practices, what we're committed to long-term. Again, getting back to the word commitment. I like to think of the direction we should go with the ROI conversation and taking it away from the financial investment that we're putting in and getting back to the core of what marketing is. And I think you, you hit on this with, with more empathetic listening, but going back to how we can improve our marketing. Do you want better marketing or do you just want more of the same? 
I think there's a lot more value in a return on improvement model as, a ter- as opposed to a return on investment model. Because if we're actively looking at every way in which we market, whether it's our website, our strategy, our content, our resources that we're, in, we're, we're allocating towards marketing, or the way that we analyze and measure what, what actually happened in the past, if we're improving those on a sliding scale from left to right over time, we will inevitably be in a better place as a result. Whereas if we just look at as campaign by campaign, if that campaign made us money, we'll do it again. If that campaign didn't make us money, we're gonna change direction completely. Because last year, in the last year, we would have changed direction several times because nothing was working. But what were we doing as a company internally to improve our website, to document our strategy, to commit to content intent, just really connecting with our audience and to better understand that audience, to your point about active listening. If we're doing those things over time, we will be further down that line. We will be in a better position than we were a year ago, regardless of what happened that's outside of our control. If you think about it like this, you think about distance runners. It's a global idea. Like everyone understands distance running. I ran the Chicago Marathon in 2011, 26.2 miles. I didn't win that race. There was no way on earth I could have won that race. Like some guy who ran it in like two hours won that race. I ran it in like four hours something. Now, did I consider that a failure because I didn't win the race? No, that would be a return on investment model. Like, oh, it wasn't worth my investment. I didn't win when at all costs. Instead, I looked at, was I able to run 26 miles six months before? No, that's the improvement that I made. I was able to do something that I wasn't able to do previously because I put in the time, I put in the foundation, I put in the hard work to get from somebody who couldn't run a 5K to somebody who ran 26 miles. Like that's the return on improvement model. You're competing with yourself as an organization not necessarily banking everything that you do on whether or not someone outside of your organization takes action because it's the right time for them. And I genuinely love that because I think it reminds us of something that you mentioned actually uh, earlier, like in, in in the previous example, when you mentioned the fact that sometimes we forget that it's hard for us to know which of the different interactions we had with somebody led them to making a choice and a decision. And funnily enough, I was running a workshop, was it yesterday? Yes, yesterday at the time of recording. And lovely lady, I was I was talking about the marketing rule of seven. I don't know if you remember it, it's from the 1930s for anybody that doesn't know it. And it says that it takes, at the time, an average of seven interactions. It's based on advertising more than marketing, but you know, so, and she was like, wait a second, does it mean that I need to talk to somebody seven times? And I said, no, it helps you reframing what you think. Every single time we post online, especially, again, some people or in some cases, you think, well, everybody's going to be there waiting for me to say something, and then they're going to act on it. The world doesn't work that way. And I love that you reminded us that we don't have control over the time frame. that will take somebody to make a decision to commit to work with us or to support us or to do whatever we want them to do. So it's kind of almost something that I know that you mentioned, which is that input versus output and how, you know, the outcome, we don't know when it comes or in which way it's going to come or which time frame. 
And that's why I love the idea of return of improvement because it really puts less pressure on us, almost like becoming future tellers when it's impossible really to do so, I think. It, even internally, as salespeople look at forecasting, they're putting the pressure that is on them to hit their quarterly numbers onto their customer. If I have a customer who, for them, they can't make this decision until April 2nd. I want them to make it in March because that's the end of the first quarter and I need to hit my quarterly numbers. But which is more likely to not only lead to a buying decision, but lead to a decision that works for both parties so that I get a better referral, so that it's a better customer experience, so that it's a, there, there's a better chance that they'll buy from me again? Is it better for me to put my pressure onto them? Or is it better for me to say, you will make your decision when you're ready to make a decision? I'm here for you to be a resource in every single way that I can. Here's an article that you can read between now and then to help answer some of the questions that you may have. Like then I'm becoming a resource, less of a salesperson, I'm less of a marketer. I'm a resource. I'm somebody that they can trust, somebody they believe in, uh, someone they believe has their best interest in mind. So that's the outputs versus outcomes. Like we can't control what happens at the end of the day. We can only control what we do in our own work every day. So whether that's how we present ourselves to potential clients and customers, target audience, or how we manage our day. There are certain things that are in our control and certain things are not, unfortunately. And I love that because we go back to something that I want to ask you actually, which is that relationship between sales and marketing. I know that in, in, in our piece that I read that kind of goes back to this topic, which I loved. And that's why we're ch chatting today, actually. You talked about marketing my, myopia and I really love, or, you know, however you pronounce it right now, but I really love that idea. And I think you just reminded us again that a lot of the time, and I think, again, this is me from a marketing perspective and talking to other professionals, it's a hard thing to let go of almost appreciating that we need to work with our customers time and time frame and i think also is a matter of if you want to go on the mindset piece because realistically speaking where people trying to sell to people and people buy from people is almost like an ego element of being like well it has to be done this way because this is what i forecasted or this is what i put down but I always find that on a personal level, before I let you talk a bit about sales and marketing working together, on a personal level, whatever I do, whenever I say to somebody, this is what we do, this is, if there's an offer, this is when the offer ends, or this is where I can help you. If this is not the right time, it's fine. When I let go of that pressure, even if there is some sort of urgency within that, but the way that you say it, the way that you put it out, people will feel that and they will be more receptive to it. And I think it's really important to remember because we don't look about these nuances that actually make a massive difference in that relationship that we're building. So I just want to say that because I'm all over it. And yeah, I would love to hear a bit more about um, that relationship between sales and marketing and marketing myopia because I love that idea. And I think it really helps us understanding how these things are not too separate or as separate as we think they are. Right. There's quite a bit of overlap and there always has been between sales and marketing. And, and the idea of marketing myopia comes from a, a paper that Theodore Levitt published in, in the Harvard Business Review back in the 1960s. So this, this is not a new topic whatsoever, but it, it 
it puts a finer point on this idea that what matters to the salesperson is selling the product. That's how, that's how they're paid in terms of commission. That's how they're evaluated in terms of uh, whether or not they get a promotion or uh, have a larger territory to cover. That, that's how they're evaluated. So it's, it's natural to understand that from a salesperson's perspective, all they want is leads that are guaranteed to close. All they want is to use their time as efficiently as possible, not wasted on bad leads. So where does that pressure go? The marketing department, who is responsible for providing those leads, who's responsible for uh, running the campaigns that bring traffic to the website that get people to convert on the forums. All of that is, is creating conflicting forces. Marketing wants to create content that the audience is most interested in. Sales is saying, we need to fast track this because I have deadlines to hit. So where, where we spend our budget is, is going to be determined on where it's going to produce the best ROI. We're not going to put money into where it doesn't directly show that there's a, a return on that investment. Whereas marketing is saying, listen, it doesn't work like that. This, it, this doesn't go as quickly as you would like it to go in the matter of the pressure that's put on you. So it goes back to beyond the, the word myopia is just short-term vision. So marketing short-term vision, marketing myopia versus this idea of, of sales arrogance that nothing else matters except what matters to me. Like the rest of the company and whatever you're doing, I don't care about, I need to make my sales. So that's the conversation. But having a sales team or person or department that doesn't have a marketing background, you inherently get this misconception that marketing produces binary outcomes. And if I put in A, I should get B. It's not manufacturing, it's not chemistry, it's not math, it's not computer programming. You don't have the predictability to say, if we put in a dollar, we'll get 70 cents back. That's a loss. If we put in a dollar, we'll get $2 back. That's a win. It just doesn't work like that. And we've talked about all the reasons it doesn't. Human behavior is one. Attribution modeling is, is another one. So we, we end up back in this conversation about what matters to sales and what matters to marketing. And at the end of the day, we forget that we're on the same team. And ultimately, as a company, we're on the team that should be serving our customers. So if what's best for our customer is that they make their buying decision on April 2nd and not March 29th, that's how we should be approaching them. If what's best for our customers is that we make this new type of product that's going to help them work from home better because now we're in a pandemic and we're not going into the office every day, that's what we should be doing. And at the end of the day, the customer only buys the product that they need. So it's up to marketing to understand what they need and to get that information of product so we can build what it is that customers need. And then it's up to sales to be available when the conversation is ready to be had so that the people who want to take action and who have the resources to do it in the timeline that makes sense can do that. Otherwise, we won't be in business any longer. It's that critical. I want to give us one little last thing because I love what you said and I think there's so much food for thought, especially when it comes to working together as a team. And again, a bit of a reminder as well of like how we are all part of this core web and again, let it go of some things. I would say some outdated way of thinking. 
I want to say that the fact that our customer, that was the old quote from Levi Ovignig, which is uh, the customer is an moron, is she's your wife. I love that one because it's excellent. And it really reminds us that we need to give them a bit more credit. And I think that with what happened in the past year, um, it definitely has shown that the, cost, the customers are more aware and they're really valuing the choices they make and who they support and what they listen to. So it's a good change because it, we needed that, I would say. So I wanted to ask you if there was one thing, one one lesson that you would wish to impart, especially to younger marketers or to people that are still trying to understand really how to make it work for them. If it was just one lesson, one little thing, one word of wisdom, what would that be? The word is better. The, the entire focus of your marketing should be better. Not, not the best, not winning, not KPIs and ROI and customer acquisition costs, whatever acronym you want to use, scrap it all. Whether you're a marketer just starting out or a marketer in the middle of your career or in the C-suite, if you're not trying to get better every single day, you're not only missing opportunities to better serve your customers, but you're missing opportunities to grow your career. Now, whether that's a better understanding of what your customers actually want by looking at the data and analyzing it to understand what's working and what's not, and actually using customer feedback to better understand how you can deliver something that they're more interested in, that's a great place to start. Whether it's building a better team that's uh, specialist, in, that is empowered by the financial resources that a team needs to succeed instead of trying to change directions when something doesn't work, that's another way to be better. Whether it's simple, the, the way that you communicate through your website, through your content, through your messaging, wherever that happens, if you're not trying to make that message apply to what your customer is going through in their lives, uh, and you're just throwing blindly the same campaign you threw out last year, you're not getting any better. You're just throwing out more. And the, the key to return on improvement in marketing is doing it better, not just doing more of the same. I love that. I think that was great. Thank you so, so much. And again, I, I love the reminders also that that pressure that we put on us will reflect on the pressure that we put on our team, on our company and our message. And so like with that improvement element, instead of that excellence, almost like pressure that we put sometimes. And if 2020 has taught us something is to cut ourselves a tiny bit more slack, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Just a touch. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so, so much, Bill, for sharing your knowledge and experience uh, with us. Thank you so much for tackling such an interesting and controversial topic with such grace. Uh, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? I'm very easy to find on LinkedIn, Bill Skoronsky. I'm sure the spelling will be available at S-K-O-W-R-O-N-S-K-I. And also uh, you can find me via email if you have direct questions about branding. I'd love to talk more about branding with anyone who's interested. It's not just your logo, by the way. So spoiler alert, there's a whole strategic uh, research-based component of your, your brand perception that most people don't think about. Uh, but I can be reached by email at bill 
at ignitebrands.com or visit us online at ignitebrands.com. Thank you so, so much again and have a lovely rest of your day. Thank you, you too. Thank you so much for listening. Head to oldmarketingschool.com to find out more about the topics that we covered in this week's class. If you want to make your teachers happy, then hop onto iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Oh, and don't forget to spend the love on Instagram at Alt Marketing School. Until next time.